Welcome to the New Work Revolution podcast on NewWorkRevolution.com. Take your business leadership to the next level and join the revolution. Here's your host, Brandon Allen. Welcome to the podcast. This is Brandon Allen, your host. Just wanted to say a couple of things in preparation for today's podcast with Jeremy Cage, who is the author of All Dreams on Deck. Had a really great interview with Jeremy, was really excited about it. The book focuses on dreams, and I think it's one of those things that a lot of people are either afraid to do or just don't spend a lot of time doing. So I really got a lot of value from the short, impactful read that Jeremy had put together. Was really excited to interview him for the podcast. I think you'll really enjoy it. A couple things that I want to say as you listen to the podcast, he was experiencing a little bit of weather We did the interview via Skype, so it kind of knocked out his availability here and there Uh, in the interview. I think overall, we got a lot of good content and meat from the interview, but just wanted to preface that right up front because you may hear that or experience that as you listen. Hey, if you enjoy the interview, if you enjoy the content that Jeremy's putting out, make sure you check out his book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere that you can buy books. So anyway, without further ado... Enjoy the interview. All right, so I want to welcome everyone to the New Work Revolution podcast here on NewWorkRevolution.com. This is your host, as always, Brandon Allen. And hey, I'm really excited. One of the benefits of having a podcast and having a business is I get to connect with interesting people. I get to connect with interesting ideas. I get to connect with interesting concepts. So I was uh, reached out to by a PR firm recently about a book called All Dreams on Deck. And so I'm going to interview Jeremy Cage, who uh, wrote the book All Dreams on Deck. And so as I went through Jeremy's uh, profile, I mean, he's just done a lot of cool things. He's traveled all over the world. He's done senior leadership for companies like Procter & Gamble and PepsiCo. I'm sure you've heard of those companies, as well as uh, CEO of, uh, of, of, of some other companies before going out and, and starting his own consulting group uh, and doing that. So Jeremy's got some really interesting stories. Uh, he's, a, he's an avid sailor, and so there's just some really cool things that he's done in his life. So I was really excited to do this interview. So Jeremy, I appreciate you being with us today. I'm uh, really happy to be here. All right. Well, Jeremy, fill, I guess fill in some gaps here. I, I probably didn't cover everything about you, but uh, give, us, give us a little bit more background. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I started my career at Procter & Gamble uh, and then uh, had the, the, the dream to, to live and work internationally. So I ended up working in uh, Sweden uh, and then subsequently London and then Venezuela for a while, down in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and then back up to the U.S. And I, then I joined PepsiCo and I went down to run their snack business down in Mexico. And uh, from there... Uh, as I think you read in the book, I ended up uh, taking a sabbatical to we took our kids out of school and we sailed around the world for 16 months. Uh, and then I came back as chief marketing officer of the international business for, uh, uh, for for PepsiCo, did a couple more stints with them. And then I was CEO of a lighting technology company. And today, as you mentioned, I've got a, a consulting company. I actually got four companies. I've got that um, and then a, a substantial snacks company that I'm a founder of. Uh, a co-founder of, and uh, a Better For You Ingredients company, and then a brand strength and brand potential assessment service for private equity. Awesome. Awesome. So a lot of things going on. So I want to start kind of at the beginning with uh, with a question, I guess. Okay, so Jeremy, 
let's talk about just the premise of the book, All Dreams on Deck. Why did you write the book? Well, I wanted to I, I wanted to give dreams their due. I actually think dreams are the most powerful force on the planet. Every this country, every company, every brand, every service, and also every relationship started as a dream. And uh, so, you know, I, I think that we need to uh, I think we need to bring do, dreams back to the forefront. And so that was one of the key motivators of the book. Yeah, I love that. So, your dad took stock of his life. I think he was 53, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. You know, had, a, had about four or five years where he was working, but not really excited, and just decided to retire early and just kind of pursue his life in the way that he wanted to. How much did that experience shape how you lived your life and, and maybe even the idea for, you know, the ideas that are in this book? Well, you know, my dad's been a terrific inspiration to me throughout my life. <clears throat> and I think that this was a, a great, uh, at the time, by the way, I didn't really get it. He was, you know, he, he sure. could very easily have been the, uh, he could very easily have been the CEO of the company. Uh, and I didn't understand why he was wanting to retire. And basically, his whole point was, look, I don't need more money. I don't need more headaches. I don't need more responsibility. I don't need to prove anything. And there are other components of my life that I want to tend to now. And and so he went to go build homes for the homeless. Uh, and I think it underscores this point that I try and make in the book, that there's no such thing as work-life balance. I think that's a gross oversimplification of us as human beings. Um, I think there's, more, there's life balance of which work is a part. And he obviously felt that he'd done what he needed to do on the, on the, on the work side, and he wanted to go and fill up some of the other important buckets in his life. I love that. I love that. So this was a perfect segue, Jeremy, into my next question. So I love your concept of work-life balance and, and how you approach that concept. Talk to my listeners about how you approach that, kind of your philosophy on the work-life balance. Well, I, again, I, as, I, as I said, I, I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in life balance, of which work is a part. And, and, and actually, I use, I, you know, obviously, I use a lot of sailing metaphors in the, uh, in the book. But the, uh, the idea is, uh, think of a lifeboat. If you throw everything into a lifeboat, it's going to sink. So you've got to prioritize what are the important things that you, you want to put in uh, into your lifeboat, uh, and you know, just make sure that those are the things that are going to not only enable you to survive, but also thrive. So in my case, as you read in the book, I think there's probably, uh, whatever, seven or eight really big components of my life. There's work, there's my family, there's my friends, uh, there's my spirit. What am I doing to engage my spirit? There's my faith. There's my, you know, so there are my, my fitness. So I, so the, the, the challenge that I have for, for all of your listeners is what are the dreams you have for each of those, what I call grab bags in your, in your lifeboat? Uh, and whatever they are, call them all up on deck and let's, let's go about making them happen. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So you talk about unrealized potential uh, in your life. So one question that I have for you is I was, talking about that is I work with a lot of high achievers. There's a lot of high achievers that listen to this. And where do you draw the line between unrealized potential and just knowing when to create some margin in your life and, and really prioritize versus trying to cram as many things into your life as possible? 
Well, I think realizing your full potential isn't about cramming everything into your life as possible. It's actually helping. It's, it's figuring out what are the most important things for you, not how I define them, but how each individual defines them. What are the mo those most important things? And making sure that you're tending to what you perceive in your life as the most important priorities. For some people, that's going to be you know, starting a new business. For others, it's going to be, you know, thriving in a large corporate environment. For others, it may have nothing to do with that. It may be, you know, saving the environment. Who knows? But the point is, figure out what the most important thing is. You know, like I said, six or seven. I mean, I do much more than six or seven things, but I'm not trying to cram everything in. I'm just trying to make sure that those really important grab bags are tended to. Awesome. So I'm a big believer in uh, insulating your life uh, in, insulating the outside distractions uh, from getting into your priorities so that you really can live your priorities. Number one, identifying what those are and, and moving forward. So talk with, talk with me about how you prioritize or how, what's your system or structure for prioritization. How do you make sure that all those grab bags are attended to at the level that you want them to be? Well, I think that and that's where it gets into the like dramatically altering the outcome of the fact that we don't we don't uh, fulfill our full potential. So I think one of the root causes of the reason why um, why we don't you know, why most businesses and most people die full of potential is because we dream vaguely and we dread specifically. So we have a vague dream of what success or what what we aspire to. But then we, the fears, the obstacles, the dreads, as you say, the distractions, all actually paralyze us from ever achieving that goal because it's vague or because, achieving that dream because it's vague. So what I encourage my readers to do and I would encourage your listeners to do is flip that on its head and dream as specifically as you can uh, because the more specific you are about the dream, the more you just sort of end up dealing with the fears and the obstacles and the dreads and the distractions just one by one, and they don't overwhelm you and paralyze you from ever getting there. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So dreaming. I, I've, I've, you know, you, you think about people like Steve Jobs and just people who talked about just having that quiet time for reflection, for ideas. And we live in a society today that doesn't really lend itself to wanting to give people that time to dream. I think there's a lot of people who want to dream, but they just don't. So what is your process for, uh, and you talk about this a little bit in the book, but just for my listeners, uh, what's, my pro what's your process for creating space for dreaming and just to make sure that you're, uh, you know, to use a sailing metaphor, you know, charting, you know, on the right course for yourself? Yeah, well, the the first thing that I do, and actually I do try and take time to actually breathe, like in the morning and like in yeah. the evening, and and you know, like I find the gym is a good is is a good place where I just like turn off all of the distractions. But I start off with a you know I started off and I was lucky enough early on in my career to have a, a great mentor that that helped me with this. But to you know just really write down you know all of the dreams that I had. And it's not it's not you're not talking bucket list and you're not talking about you know, like the dreams that I had last night. I mean, it's like, what are all of the things big and small um, that are important to me? And, and you just that when you do that first list, it's all about um, quantity, not quality. It's just like get as many down there as possible because we don't often go uh, beyond the surface. And then you go through the exercise of actually saying, OK, well, now, which of all of these 
can I combine, first of all, into a, like a bigger dream? But which, which ones, you know, like really are the most important to me? And then you start to really frame out, okay, well now, is what I'm doing today in my life got any, you know, is that taking me anywhere close to what I've just articulated are my dreams? And the answer is, you know, often pretty binary. If, it is, if it's yes, then great, keep going. And if it's no, then accept that reality as quickly as possible and shift course. Um, so anyway, that's that's how I that's how I try and and really prioritize and make sure that I'm not losing sight of where it is I'm trying to go. Yeah, I love that. So you talk a lot about intentionality, which I love that. I always talk about living a life by design versus a life by default. But I know for myself personally, it probably wasn't until I was in my early 30s. Probably, I think I had an epiphany at about 33 years of age where I I realized that I was living a life by default. I was working at a job that I wasn't passionate about. I'd been married for uh, seven years at that point. I'd had two, maybe three kids at that time. And, but I realized that I didn't have any intentionality about anything that I was doing as a father, as a husband, uh, you know, around all those things. But what I really loved about your stories, I mean, it really sounded like, I mean, you, you really got intentional pretty early on in your career about what you wanted to do. In fact, picked a job that would allow you the international travel and things that you ended up doing. So talk to me about where that came from, that, that level of intentionality. Um, well, again, I've always been, you know, I've always been blessed with people who've pushed me, you know, like to, to, to think differently. But, you know, I talk in the book about this, the, this concept of the ladder of intentionality. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it's one thing to articulate a dream and articulate it, uh, you know, specifically, but you're not going to get anywhere close to that dream if you're not intentional about it. So if you think about a ladder, typically the higher you you climb on the, the ladder, like the riskier it gets. And so it is with your intentionality. I think, you know, the, the lowest rung is to think about something. You have an idea, it comes in, rattles around in your brain a little bit, and then it most often leaves and no one's the wiser. Now, it's an important step because that's where, you know, you, there may be a couple of dreams in there that stick around. And, and assuming that there are, you climb up the ladder and you get and then you write it down. This is why we like to-do lists. We like to write things down and cross them off because we're holding ourselves accountable to something and making and, and we feel like we're making progress. So you write it down, and then all of a sudden, it's you know like it, it feels a lot weightier than just having thought about it. But then the next rung up is is declaring it out loud, and now you've taken a whole big a big step up mm-hmm. in your intentionality. And then, as I mentioned in the as I talk about in the book, I think the highest rung of the ladder of intentionality is when you're declaring something out loud in such a way that you get everybody else talking about it. And then two magical things happen. One is you feel responsible for your dream, but you also res- you feel responsible for t- achieving your dream you know, to all of these other people who are now talking about it and you've got all excited about it. So that ramps it up. And then the other thing is you've created a community of people to help lift you up and get you there. And that's magic. I love that. I love that. So, you know, you, to think about it, to write it down... You know, people. You know, people are good. At, you know, people will do that. the The declaration part seems to be where you know people get hung up. And I always think about this quote from Les Brown. He said, "The graveyard is the richest place on earth because it is here that you will find all the hopes and dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were yeah. never written, 
the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid to take their first step, keep with the problem, or determine to carry out their dream. So I love that quote. I always think about that. And so for you, this is where people get hung up. They might write things down, but declaring it out loud, oh my God, if I put it out there into the universe or whatever you want to call it, uh, that creates a whole level of accountability. So how do you get past the fear that comes from declaring a, a dream and moving forward anyway? What, what, what is your secret uh, to doing that? I'm sorry, Brandon, you cut out. What, what is your, you know, when it comes to the fear piece uh, of declaring something out loud, how do you move past the fear? Well, I think the, the, of course, it's always easier said than done. But yeah, I, I don't think people actually weigh the risk of not doing it. Mm. You know, I actually think people say, well, that's too risky, you know, like getting out there and declaring it, you know, like that's, wow, that involves weight. That's way too risky because it's my word. It's And we don't actually step back and say, okay, well, what's the risk of not doing it? And the risk of not doing it is exactly the quote that you were just saying. It's, it's you know, and, and the facts bear it out. Most people later on in the, like in their later years or on their deathbeds are all, you know, will readily admit that they didn't. I'm just, you know, to try and figure out what is the risk of not pursuing that dream, because oftentimes I think that's significantly a significantly greater risk than declaring something out loud. And then that puts it in perspective, and, and I think it helps you overcome it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And I, I remember uh, when I was the uh, COO of a financial services firm that I worked for, um, the, uh, the CEO, uh, we had a book project that we became that became a New York Times bestseller and I remember uh, we were in financial services and I we sent it out to a bunch of advisors to look at and review and I remember talking to people that I was trying to get book orders from and everything else that were advisors to use with their clients and I probably had nine different advisors say I read this I saw this book I went through it and it made me so sad and which kind of caught me off guard because I was like oh my gosh you know why, why are you sad about this and they said you wrote my book. <laughs> this was my book, and you wrote it. And <laughs> right then, in that moment, I realized that look, if I don't do this, someone else is going to at some point in time. And exactly. I, I love that concept of of you know what's the what's the lost opportunity cost of not doing it. And we don't weigh that often enough in yeah. the decisions that we make. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I love that. So. Um, Talk to me about, you know, I, the reason why I talk about this fear piece, you did something that I thought would probably make a lot of people uh, throw up and sick to their stomach if they tried this, but you went to your boss at PepsiCo, I believe at the time, I think you were working in Mexico, if I'm not mistaken, and you asked for a sabbatical, or you talked about a sabbatical. Now, they didn't necessarily have a sabbatical program, this was not something that was maybe uh, customary at, at this at, at this place. So, talk to me about you know how you did that and just share that story because I think it's so powerful. Okay, I'll try and keep it brief. It, uh, the uh, uh, 
you know, we first of all we dream. We we my wife and I were dreaming very specifically. We said we wanted to go on sailing around the world. We wanted to do it when our kids were old enough to be able to remember it, to be able to help, and for it to be able to shape them, but still young enough that it was okay to be with mom and dad. And we didn't want to mess up high school and girlfriends and boyfriends. So we said, okay, well that's the case. We need to go when Bradley's twelve and Elena is ten. And if that's the case, that means we need to set sail in 2007. This is what I mean. Like the more specific you get about the dream, all of a sudden it starts to come to life. So we said, okay, well, if we're going to go in, if we're going to set sail in 2007, what do we need to do to be able to, to, to make that happen? Well, we obviously had to have a boat and we had to, you know, like, but, but as importantly, you know, to your point, I had to sit down with my boss and say, you're like, hey, this is what we want to do. The reason why I think they got excited about it is because, I, I made a, a contention, which I still believe, which is that I think that most businesses are breeding stale senior executives. You know, so I told them this is going to test my leadership in ways it can never be tested behind a desk. It's going to test my courage, which I actually think is something that's really lacking in a lot of senior executives today. It's going to test my courage in ways that it could never be tested before. It's going to test, you know, it's going to expand my cultural horizons, my creativity. And so... I, I pitched it as that, uh, and they and Steve Reinemann, who was the CEO of PepsiCo at the time, you know, ultimately he said, you know, he said, you good, all approved. He said, now there's one condition, and I said, well, what's that? And he said, well, when you get back, I want you to put together a leadership program for the whole company on what you've learned, so that everyone can benefit from it. And actually, a lot of that. So I did a lot of that thinking as we were sailing around the world, and of course, a lot of it forms. Uh, the you know the different chapters in the book. Nice, that's uh, that's very cool. Most people, I, I feel pretty comfortable in saying this. I don't know most people, but I'm going to guess just on my small sample size of human beings that I've interacted with over the years that most people are content to play small. They're content to play uh, not to lose versus playing to win. And so, how do you keep into that mindset? Of, of thinking abundantly and, and staying out of that scarcity mindset of, of playing small, what, what helps you stay focused on the bigger picture? Well, again, I think I, I, it's very clear to me what, what the important components are for my life. And I, I think you, you mentioned something interesting and actually, you know, playing to win. I don't see this as a competition for, you know, like against myself or against you or against anyone else. Sure. What I've what I've done is I've come I've, I've sort of tried to center myself on you know like what are the things that are most important to me and what can I do to 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 make sure that I'm living into those you know into those things um, and I think that's that's a big shift so it's not about um, so much about playing to win obviously I like to be successful I you know I've done well corporately and I've done well in my you know my entrepreneurs you know my my startups but it's it's really more about um, what's important to me and how do I make sure that I don't lose sight of that and then how do I build the courage to actually make that happen and I talk in the book uh, Brandon about about uh, building your courage muscle because I, and I you do that through planning and preparation which is one of the things that as a society we're not really you know we we've been trained to be this like give it to me now and instant gratification society for the sailing trip I took marine diesel mechanics. My wife took marine medical training. She took abandoned ship training. We trained the kids. We took them to a training for, so that they, even though they were only 10 and 12, they could navigate 
and handle that boat across an ocean if my wife and I were to be swept overboard. So there was a lot of planning and preparation that went in, into it, as should go into most ventures. And what ended up happening is that built our courage muscle, and then that enabled us to then go really sort of go for the dream. Right. I love that. And look, everyone, when, when you're hearing this and you got to read how they prepared for this trip around the world that they did, uh, there was a lot of intention that went into that. There was a lot of thought that went into that. There's a lot of planning that went into that. But when we, when we create that planning, it just creates a, a greater level of certainty. Not that we absolutely know what the outcome is going to be, that we, but we feel confident that we've done everything that we can to prepare for that. And so many of us in entrepreneurship today uh, haven't taken those steps, and so we do live in fear that maybe we haven't prepared like we can. So I, I love uh, you know, some of the elements that you were talking about, about building courage, because a lot of that is about taking the right action. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, I may have a dream to be a, a NASCAR driver, and I may tell everyone about it, but if I don't do the planning and the preparing, it's going to be a disaster, right? Absolutely. So it's, the same, it's, it's the same thing for all, you know, like for all of the dreams, you know, like be they your fit, you know, your dreams in, in fitness, be your dreams in family. You know, a lot of people will say, look, I want a better relationship with my wife, my father, my mother, my son, my daughter. What does that actually look like? What is the specific dream for that relationship? What is your level of intentionality to get to that dream? And what are you actually doing as an individual to plan and prepare for that dream to come to life? I mean, if just think about it, like if you were to take just an example like that and, and, and challenge someone to have, you know, like to, to fulfill their dream of a closer relationship with their son, um, then, you know, like what are the steps that they're taking and how to build the courage required to, to get past whatever has been gone, gone on in the past and actually create that, that, you know, like, or live into that dream. Yeah, I love that. So last, uh, last point for me here, um, and then we'll talk about, you know, how people can uh, learn more. You talk in launching your lifeboat about a concept that I think is so important. It's about building the endurance for the dream and realizing that the dream takes time. And one of my favorite books is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And Stephen talks a lot about the resistance in any art that you create. And business ownership is an art, in my opinion, just like painting, singing, anything else. Uh, there's an art to that. But we get excited. We write the dream down. We might even declare the dream. And then sometimes we become disillusioned by the fact that the red carpet doesn't roll out and we're not immediately escorted right to the direction of our dream so that we can immediately realize that. What, is, what do you feel like are the important keys for people to stay engaged and to see it through to the end? Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's obviously a trap, isn't it? You know, because like, we do, you know, we do tend to have a very short-term mindset when it comes to so many things in our lives. It's hard to, to step back. And I'm not suggesting, by the way, that every, every dream needs to be a, a sail around the world dream. You know, like there are lots of, you know, smaller yes. dreams. So I think, you know, just, just like, you know, the, the most... I think sort of most projects, you know, you want to, you want to, I think, divide it up into manageable chunks rather than having it be this big overwhelming thing. I want to sail around the world and then, you know, in 2007 with my kids and this, that and the other. And then rather than, you know, panic about each, everything that could go wrong, you know, just sort of, you know, divide it up into, into manageable chunks and then, then keep moving forward. But you do have to have stamina. You know, you can't, uh, you know, for the big stuff, 
I, I'll, I'll submit that you know, like it requires a, you know a high level of you know a pretty high level of commitment. Um, and and again, I think I would challenge your listeners and your readers to say, okay, well, what is the price of not sticking with it? You know, what is the price of losing that energy? And the, again, you get to you get to the end of your life and you think, my God, I, I coulda, shoulda, woulda. My father-in-law showed me a book of sketches when he he was an illustrator, and he showed me a book of sketches before he passed away. Fantastic man, had done a lot of really great things in his life, but this book was like his his book of unrealized potential. He'd invented the 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 windsurfer and the snowboard and all these when I say invented I mean like he had he had sketched these well before they were launched a little bit like your book mm. example so anyway yeah. yeah yeah I love that that's awesome that's awesome Jeremy what did we miss here what give me some you know give me some uh, any other overarching thoughts things that we didn't cover uh, in the previous questions uh, tell us what we missed well again I mean I, I would just challenge each and every one of your listeners to 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 spend a little bit of time on their dreams and their aspirations so that they're not just blindingly going along, but they're actually figuring out what is what are what are the important components of their lives, what are the dreams they have for each of them, and you know, call them all up on deck. Uh so that's that's one key thing. And I as as you saw or as you read, I mean the book itself is 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 a as is a pretty straightforward read. I think the challenging part comes when you start engaging with the workbook in the back of the book and you start actually taking action on it and starting to write down your dreams because then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it, it all starts to become a lot more real. Yeah, I, I love that. And again, I found so much value in the lifeboat concept with the grab bag pieces and just looking at that. I just got the book a few days ago. I read through it. I started doing the exercises. I haven't finished that yet, but I, I found already tremendous value in just some of the questions that you asked and some of the ways that you laid it out. Uh, I'm telling you guys, uh, check the book out. You'll really be glad that you did because dreaming, I totally agree. I think we get in, we're, we're in such doing mode a lot of times that we forget what are we even doing it for? Is this really the best use of my time? Is this really where I feel the most fulfilled and that I'm creating the most value for the world? Uh, we just lose sight of that, and uh, there's not enough dreaming that goes on today. In fact, I feel like we squash people's dreams at a really early age. It's kind of upsetting when you really think about it, uh, and I love that this just brings dreams back to the forefront of how important those are. So thank you for writing this. Oh, you're, you're very welcome, and thanks for the comments. Yes, absolutely. So, Jeremy, if people want to learn more about you, they want to get the book, uh, what do you want them to do? Yeah, I mean, on the on for the book, they can do, you know go to the usual suspects. They can go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It's it's actually in many bookstores across the country now. Uh, and if they want to learn more about uh, the Cage Group and and me specifically, they can go to thecagegroup.org. Awesome. All right. So, Jeremy, again, thank you for being on the show today. And Brandon, thank you very much. Really a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So, guys, go get the book. Check it out. Uh, if you have any questions, I'll have some details on the show notes at newworkrevolution.com, so make sure you go there. If you like the show, share it with a friend, rate it in iTunes, and if you have any comments or questions for me, go to newworkrevolution.com and feel free to check in. Again, thank you, Jeremy, for being on the show. This is Brandon Allen for the New Work Revolution podcast. I am signing off. 
Thanks for listening to the New Work Revolution podcast on newworkrevolution.com. Until next time, take your business leadership to the next level and join the revolution.